Nova is America's most watched science series. You'll find it every night at 7.50 on PBS. Sky Channel 166, Virgin Media 243. PBS, where television matters. The Guardian. It was the summer that exploded into violence and disorder on Britain's streets. Violence which triggered an all-out government assault on gangs. David Cameron believes gangs played a crucial role in the riots. But analysis commissioned by the government suggests that only 13% of those arrested could credibly be linked to gangs. This week's Focus podcast examines what effect this zero-tolerance approach to gangs will have, and we'll ask, is the government missing the point? Ian Joseph thinks so. He's a research fellow at the University of East London. He took me to Coronation Gardens, a well-kept park which sits in the shadow of Leighton Orient Football Club. This was a site where groups, different groups of youngsters, really used to play out the conflicts and differences between them and in particular played out the competing claims a about uh, dealing in certain types of crime markets particularly dealing small levels of drugs but to the kind of status power that surrounds keeping in con- keeping control of those drugs markets since then of course you know the gov- the the local government has you know been proactively dealing with mopping up these sorts of things so that era of conflict is now dissipated the friendships have now dissipated and they've gone to other surrounding areas because it looks so innocuous here it's a very well um, kept park um, there's a bandstand there's a war memorial wouldn't you wouldn't imagine that sort of thing happened here but I think earlier you found a knife hidden under a bush yeah it can appear that way but just because of the way that ordinary everyday life exists parallel to another underworld life if at uh, 11 o'clock 12 o'clock at night the mood here would be very, very different. And certainly that knife is is there because that is one of the tacks that that youngsters use for getting around the stop and search um, kind of powers that that the police have. They'll litter these transit paths with weapons so that if there is an opposing group that they might know and they chase them, for example, they'll just jump over the park fence, pick these weapons up so they can, they can defend themselves. Now these are things that you wouldn't know unless you know. How much do the authorities know? To what extent when David Cameron says we're going to get tough on gangs, we're going to have tougher sentences, uh, to what extent do they really understand the problem? The gangs problem really doesn't, or addressing the gangs issue, doesn't get through to some of the real processes that happen between young people in their friendship groups, which actually are the drivers of getting involved with serious youth violence or, in quotes, the gang problems as the government is talking about in its most recent paper. How are they getting it wrong? By concentrating on a very narrow group of of young people who are supposed to display... um, a common common, um, group identity as supposed to have common colours those might very well be some of the uh, some of the visual things but like this very nice area underneath 
that those very visible visible ways of understanding young people they're actually processes that actually produce or make them vulnerable to the serious organized crimes that are essentially uh, carried out by very serious criminals who are adults so we're we making it sound more exciting than it really is when actually what you have is a group of mundane social problems. Exactly. And certainly the research being carried out by Dr Gunter in our department for the British Academy is actually highlighting the fact that young people, they really don't identify with this gang label. What they actually have is a more mundane, everyday way of dealing with, with their everyday with the everyday problems that they have. And in terms of tackling the gang problem, we can't it can't be solved from this top down greater powers being given to the police or local authority to have gang injunctions. In order to do something effective, it really needs an understanding of these everyday friendship uh, groups that young people get in, the processes that they use to define and resolve their conflict and which add up incrementally over time in, and might manifest themselves in the serious youth violence uh, that, that we found, find around London. What's the cost? If we're misdiagnosing and mislabeling the problem, what's the, been the repercussion of that? Very large and very serious. Uh, there has no doubt been a trend in uh, an increasing number of incidents, by an increasing number of serious incidents. I don't think it's any accident that a supposed link between riots and what young people get up to has, has been made. What has been happening, certainly over the last 30 years or so, is a growing mood of young, young people, an outlook on life of disengagement, of hopelessness, which really many of the policies, because they're from a top-down perspective in terms of really getting to know what young people are thinking without an understanding of those things, has, is having and will continue to have a major consequence for young people and how they express their feelings of marginalisation and social exclusion. They're not gangs, it's just, it's, called, it's just called the street family. It's not a gang, it's a family where we look out for one another and things, when certain things get on top, then people say, oh, this is a gang, this is a gang, that's not no gang. It's just friends who are just together as a family. Like me, you see me and five friends, people say that's a gang, it's not a gang, that's me. I'm this is Paul, he's a 17-year-old from East else. London. It's not, it's not like I'm sitting on the roadside for hours just doing nothing. You don't, if you want to see a gang, go to America, innit? If you talk about gangs, that's where you get, that's where you get the real gangs out, innit? So the government say the way to deal with this is to get tough, is to send more people to prison. If, you've, uh, if you're caught with a firearm and they can prove that you're in a gang, then you'll get a longer prison sentence. Do you think that sort of tough action will have any sort of effect? No, it will just make me people more angry. Now, you got send someone to prison, what? Because they, cause they claim they're in a gang, because they're carrying a gun, doesn't mean nothing. Because you're carrying a gun doesn't mean you're in a gang. It means you're carrying it for your own protection. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you're carrying a knife. Because like, maybe you got robbed the week before, you don't want to get robbed again. So you'll carry a gun for your own protection. Make yourself feel a bit hard. Tell us about your experiences. What, what have you done within that kind of group that you've been describing? Where? It's just a lot. You know what I mean? Like, where people feel that was a gang, so I got chill with a couple of people from, from, from like now, innit? But back in the day, probably like two years, three years ago, like it was, it was a, group, a lot of group of friends I used to chill with, but when certain things kicked off, some man weren't really there, you know what I mean? And some man, when it kicked off now, I got the people around me who I needed, like my brothers, you know what I mean? Like, back in the day, man, I say it kick off, it'd be, it'd be beef, you know what I mean? The man, I think, oh, that's a gang, it's not no gang. And maybe a little accident happened, happened, happened in the rave, and the man, I start hyper up. Man, a couple of men get stabbed and say, ask oh, gang related. 
it's not gang related, just something happens, a misunderstanding in a, in a rave, and the police think it's gang related, and it's, that's, how, that's how it all comes about. If the government doesn't understand, how can it understand? Because it's difficult for an MP or a minister to really know what's happening. I say they need to get they need to get their hands down and dirty, come come into the areas where they feel more is more high more more targeted and go and feel how see how we get down and see what we do from day to day and day in day in, day out. Because like, they think ah, oh, because ah, oh, you see them on roadside, the the other others at home, sitting at home doing this and doing that. They don't know what we're really doing. Like, we can't be doing something constructive. You're not acknowledging that. You feel what I'm saying? Paul's with his cousin Lawrence, and Lawrence is no more convinced that policymakers really know what's happening on the ground. Teenagers, most of them, are acting. Most most teenagers want to be seen to be hard. Like they don't want to be seen to be, as what we would call moist or pussy on the roads. So most people will join gangs or will join groups of people to, to, to have that 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 level of security or safety. So that it's like because no one wants to really be rolling on their own. Like to come Stratford on your own. You don't know anyone. That's that's kind of dangerous, because like, groups of other people will rob you and stuff like that. It's going to be a problem, isn't it? Then, if if you're saying that the the gangs don't really exist in the way we think they do, mm-hmm. and yet politicians are telling the police to go out to go and get tough on gangs. And it's it's not just about being tough. It's about giving them something to do. Like there's nothing to do. Like what is you got school after school is college. Like there's no hope. Like uni uni fees are going up. That's not helping. Um, they're stopping EMA or cutting it. It's not helping. So there's like the jobs, even jobs. Like how, how do you expect us to get jobs? So what, what else are you gonna do? You're gonna obviously sell drugs on the road if you don't know any better. Even if you was brought up right, you're still gonna be you're gonna be pushed into that into that way of life, basically. Don't matter who did what to who at this point. Fact is, we went to war, and now there ain't no going back. I mean, shit, it's what war is, you know. Once you in it, you in it. If it's a lie, then we fight on that lie. But we gotta fight. Slim Charles, a gangland character from The Wire. And while the hit TV show was based on the goings-on in real-life Baltimore, the city has done a lot to reduce the murder and crime rate. After years of the zero-tolerance approach, they decided that you just can't police your way out of a complex gang problem and prioritise prevention above cure. What happens when you go to zero tolerance uh, is that people are hanging out on corners, get picked up, uh, and what that tends to do is, is alienate a lot of the people from the communities. Philip Leaf is director of Baltimore's Center for the Prevention of Youth Violence. They have instances when they themselves were hassled on corners or when their children, who were not doing anything negatively, uh, were, were, were hassled. So clearly police responses are, are important and police intelligence is important, um, but, but also making sure that, that people don't feel that the, the culture of violence is the appropriate way to respond, and that requires much more of a community-wide response. And do you find a way to differentiate between those young men who are perhaps living quite a lot of their lives on the street because they haven't got jobs and so they associate on the street, but aren't necessarily members of gangs? Because surely one of the, 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 the worries here is that those people who are not gang members get swept up in the operations against gang members? One of the things that's happened in the U.S. is uh, a lot of people who get arrested then become gang members when they're in prison and then come back. They, they weren't gang members when they went in, but they come out gang members. And so one of the unintended consequences is creating 
the gangs, which are very prevalent in at least the U.S. prisons. I haven't been in the U.K. prisons. but uh, And that people have to affiliate while they're in the prison for their own safety and then continue that affiliation when they come home. Just in a nutshell, what's your advice been to your contemporaries here when you've uh, visited and you've looked around? What have you said to them that they should concentrate on to, to, to avoid going down the road that uh, many U.S. cities have gone down? The need for a multifaceted approach, which has at, at, at one end uh, you know, the good surveillance, because you don't want to have people uh, on the streets who are actually engaging in, in murders, on the other hand, uh, we have this, um, what we call the, the, the school-to-prison pipeline in the U.S., where we have many schools where the students are not learning, become disengaged, drop out, spend more time on the streets. And so the solution is everything from making sure that the schools are functioning uh, and that the, the students' needs are, are, are being met educationally and socially to, to having the social support systems, which in the U- U.K. do exist. Uh, in the U.S., we're having to try to create so I think there's some, you know, again, some opportunities for preventing this from getting out of hand with a multifaceted strategy. The Boston Ceasefire Project is another program which has had great success in tackling youth violence. Serious offenders are forced to attend mass forums where they are confronted by members of the community. Faced with the highest murder rate in Western Europe, Strathclyde Police imported the model. The murder rate halved. I'm Karen McCluskey, I'm co-director of the Violence Reduction Unit in Scotland. Violence is now a stated public health issue, absolutely spoken about by the Chief Medical Officer, and that's how we look at it. We involve health, we involve education, you know, and we've set a long-term plan, and we've got an aspiration to change it. If you're going to target people who are in a gang, you have to have a sense of what a gang is. What definition have you been using? Well, it's really interesting. We're all hung up in definitions. I ask the young people, give me a definition of a gang. Some of them don't even think they're in a gang. We are not that hung up on the definition. We try and work with what the outcome is. I mean, I don't mind gangs. I'm not a gangbuster. I mind the violence. The violence is a thing. What I want to do is I want to reduce the violence. And what I know is that lots of the the people that are involved in the gangs commit violence on their own, in pairs and in groups. So I've kept away from the definition. I know there's a real desire to define it just now. So in a nutshell, what what are you doing? I mean, as as I understand it, on the one hand getting quite tough in terms of policing, but on the other hand saying, look, there is another way. Well, I think you have to offer them both. Yes, you need hard-edged enforcement. You absolutely need the policing moral high ground. So we need to be good. And in fact, you know something, we need to be even better than what we're doing just now. But we also need to prevent it. You know, And that's talking about early years and parenting. It's about talking about trying to target kids at risk in schools. And we all know who they are. They're not hiding. It's actually being able to manage them out of it and doing something that's right for them. I may want to change. How do you persuade me that I can? Well, look, you're an individual. I can try and convince, I can point out the area ways, I can try and get all the people who are around you to say, we believe in you and we want you to change. See, at the end of the day, you'll make your own choice. And that choice might actually be catastrophic for you because we could be going visiting your house and visiting your parents to tell them that you've been stabbed to death or I'm telling them that you've just been arrested for a murder. And... There are lots of young people that I deal with who don't want to change and they need to go to jail, lots of them. But we absolutely need to be jailing those we're afraid of and not those we're mad at because prison doesn't always have great outcomes. We need to be intervening when they're in there and, but we need to understand that some people will change and that we need to try and rehabilitate those that we can. 
as you speak to gang members, do you find that many of them are people with potential? Because we do tend to write them off and to stereotype them. Well, listen, loads of them. Loads of them are really, they're young people. They've not had the choices that you and I have had. They've got no choice about who they're born to, where they live, what school they go to. They've had no choice in their life. None. And we take that for granted. That's the things that make our life really good. We have a sense of aspiration. I think that sometimes you can give them a bit of aspiration, aspiration to change, and you tell them that you're there to help. This is not being liberal or woolly or motherhood and apple pie. It's about saying to people you can make something of yourself. You can contribute to wealth creation in this country. You can be part of the community. And I think that's a goal worth striving for. You've worked in London and you've mm-hmm. worked in Scotland. Obviously, gangs form for different reasons in different places, don't they? So is the, the sort of method that you developed in, in Glasgow exportable to somewhere like London? I mean, there's a completely different population for a start, isn't there? Absolutely, but I got that, the, I got the model that I use came from Boston and Cincinnati. That's no different from London. And actually, can I tell you, you know the thing, everybody says we're so different. You know the, the guys that I saw in Boston and in Cincinnati and in New York, they were exactly the same as the young guys that I saw in Glasgow. They were young African-American men and young Glaswegian men. They lacked aspiration, poor parenting, deprivation was absolutely the heart of some of their choices, what made them go into the gangs in the first place. So they're not that different. So I took a really successful model and I applied it rigidly and you know, had some aspiration that would be a bit different. And joining me in the studio now, we have Ian Joseph, who you heard from at the top of the podcast. He's a research fellow at the University of East London. We also have Christian Guy, policy director at the Think Tank Centre for Social Justice. And Simeon Brown from the Haringey Young People Empowered Project in North London. He's currently lead researcher on The Guardian's Reading the Riots Project, which is being conducted in association with the London School of Economics. Okay, welcome to all of you. Ian, Joseph, I'm going to start with you. Um, you told us earlier that the government's approach is wrong. If you're king for the day, what would you do? I'd re-emphasise the focus of what the new cross-governmental paper aims to do. It starts from a premise in trying to find the gang, which I don't think is a particularly helpful one in terms of linking into the actual processes that young people get involved with in their local areas, in their friendship groups, that actually increases their vulnerability um, to involvement in serious use violence and gangs. Trying to find the gang, all you find is something that isn't there. What you really need to do is you really need to find the real meaningful friendships that they have that expose them to these kinds of risks. So basically you'd start again. I mean, you're saying we're starting from the wrong place. Uh, certainly uh, starting again in terms of refocusing what, what social policy aims to do and certainly the inter- interventions need to do. If we carry on the way that we've been going for the last 10 or 15 years in addressing the serious use violence, particularly in, in the urban context, we will keep on doing the same stuff over and over again and getting the same results. It's quite plain now that a, a vast majority of these... Uh, interventions aren't actually getting to the root causes. If we want to address the root causes rather than the consequences, we have to do something new in a new kind of way. Christian Guy, here's someone who's well known to you uh, at the Centre for Social Justice, Ian Duncan-Smith, I think he founded the organisation, and he said this, let me quote it, uh, he said, it's ridiculous that policy has been developed to deal with gangs before the authorities had a full understanding of the problem it's trying to address. Are we in a better situation now? Well, I think I, I do think that in the last couple of years, through some of the work we've done at the CSJ and through other people as well, we are starting to set a new course for dealing with street gangs. And 
I agree that for years we've had failed policy, we've had knee-jerk headline reactions and ministerial initiatives on tough-on-knife crime and all that all that stuff. And I think this, on paper at least, marks a, a new approach, which is to say this is not any longer a problem we can just assume the police can deal with. We've got to broaden this out and all have a role to play. And actually it's, it, it's about being tough on people who won't come out. But firstly, it's about understanding the nature of a gang, that we've got a gang issue. A lot of people in this country don't still believe we've got a, a gang issue. But it's also important that we offer people a way out and that we give them a, a realistic alternative. And that is is what I think the strategy is trying to do. What is the gang issue? Because some people would argue about the definition. Um, yeah. You're clear we have a gang uh, issue. So how do you define it? Well, uh, we, we did a lot of work on this in 2009 I think firstly the thing to say is that most young people the overwhelming majority of young people are not in a gang and they've got no intention of joining a gang but in certain areas I think there's good evidence that we have high levels of gang activity and gang crime and we adopted a definition in our paper Dying to Belong which set out a clear distinction between groups of young people who may be found on street corners or who may have a sense of belonging to each other and the distinction between that and the nature of a, a gang, which is which is clearly different. And Where does think, the line get crossed? Well, I mean, I, I could read out the definition of a gang if you like, but it, it's it's about realizing that these gangs are highly organised. There's a structure. There's a there's a there's a sense that, that there's a violence to it. Um, this is what we heard as we travelled around the UK and abroad. And I think the the point is that we're trying to reset the terms of the debate away from failed policy of the last 15, 20 years on this to a new understanding that asks the question of what's the nature of the problem. And if the problem is as we've heard, we we need to give people a way out. And if they don't take it, we need to. Um, send a clear message through through enforcement. I think that's the change in direction. Simeon Brown, in the work that you do in North London, um, do you find that the gang definition uh, is really adequate for the problem? I think that there's a, there is certainly a need for clarity, and I'd really echo, I'd really echo what what Ian Joseph was saying. I find that when we're talking about gangs and the gangs that cause real issues, essentially what we're talking about is organised crime. But when we're talking about young people and youth violence, we're talking about completely different social networks. And I think there is a, a great ambiguity between between the two. And I'm still not sure how, still not sure what criteria you're you're using or what criteria the report does use. The definition we assumed of a street gang, not that we dreamt up at the CSJ, but from what others were saying, was a relatively durable, predominantly street-based group of young people who, one, see themselves and are seen by others as a discernible group, two, engage in a range of criminal activity and violence, three, identify with or laying claim to territory, four, have some form of identifying structural feature, and five, are in conflict with other similar gangs. That was our definition. Ian, are you happy with that definition? Uh, Far from it. I think that exactly that kind of definition has led us into the uh, social policy cul-de-sac that we're in at the moment. Why? It's actually premised on a way of viewing what young people do that was important from the United States. That definition actually closely reflects another definition that was used across Europe in the Eurogang project that was a result of um, a growing consensus that what happened in America wasn't actually appropriate for Europe. Well, just that simply, still what's, stands. what's wrong with that definition? Why, why, why do you think it doesn't What's your work? definition? Well, uh, well if, if taking all of those characteristics, if you went out to try and find that on the streets, you will not find it. That's part of the problem. And part of the problem with that is that you actually end up uh, characterising young, some youngsters who you might assume 
uh, are displaying those characteristics or in a group that is like that, which aren't actually part of the gang. They may actually just be in the early stages on the margins of it. That kind of definition and how it's used in the hands of practitioners, principally the police, can actually start victimising youngsters in ways that just aren't good right to, uh, good or right. Christian, I'm going to let you answer that and then I want to bring Simeon sure. in again. But I, think- I, I think it's not about saying this is the, the magic bullet definition, but I think it's about, it's about bringing clarity to the, an un, a foggy problem at the moment. But actually, I think you, there are evident, there's evidence in certain parts of the UK that you can find these gangs and it, it's clear where they operate and there's some evidence from places that are actually tackling gangs effectively. So I think to say that this is an invisible group is, is slightly... Slightly odd. Is invisible the same as indefinable or diff- difficult Well, I think to define? It, this, is, this is saying that there are some clear features of, of, of gangs. I'm not saying we've covered everything and it's a panacea definition, but there's some clear features. And I think it's, it's shedding some further light on a problem that for a long time has been foggy, and I think that's helpful. And that's exactly what needs to be said. It needs to be contextualised, and the problem with having um, a one-size-fits-all approach definition is that one-size-won't-fit-all. Let me bring you in here because I was interested in the the, the guys that we spoke to earlier um, who seem to be almost a a classic of the type in a way in that one imagines that the police might look at them and say you're probably in a gang or running with a gang and if you put it to them that they're in a gang they'd laugh at you. I think if I come back to that definition that you had about a group of people that define themselves by a certain way they're located by territory and perhaps they might be in conflict and there might be there might be aspects of being involved in, in criminality, I think that that is extremely loose in the sense that you have groups of young people who are live in a specific area, they define in that space, they don't organise according to a constitution like how an organised criminal outfit would, but simply by being in a certain space in which some of the networks and some of the market failures will lead them into perhaps certain aspects of maybe selling weed or selling stolen phones or, or, or some aspect of criminality they by the definition that exists, they will be a gang when, in actuality, they wouldn't be a gang or cause the kind of conflict that you would associate with organised gangs. And for me, I think that there's a danger of criminalising groups of young people simply because of the environments that they happen to be in when they're not actually set out with the intent to operate like a gang. And the danger of bad policy is when it creates what it attempts to actually challenge. And I think it's that nuance which really does require a rethink. Yeah, I think just to come back on that, we've been criticised in this piece of work for being, I hate the phrase, but too soft. We're making the case that this doesn't now fall to police on, on its own. And the criminalisation of people who are not involved in criminal activity is never helpful. And this is about saying let's get to people really early before they take the route of, of criminality if they go that way. So th- this, is a, this is a paper that tries to get people before they get anywhere near that sort of activity, and I think that's important. At the time Ian Duncan Smith wrote this article last yeah. year, he was talking about the approach being chaotic. Now, I understand that you say that things have, uh, uh, have improved since, but your heart must have sunk immediately after the riots when you heard the talk in the House of Commons from amongst other people, the Prime Minister, who did seem to be taking that sort of pu- punitive approach. Um, and... and we were attributing the disturbances to gangs, and then the first lot of research came out which said that probably only 13% of those arrested were in gangs. So it does rather indicate that we're still in a bit of a mess. I think in London, I think the figures were slightly higher, but I, I agree. I th- to be fair, though, to, 
prime minister and to, to the government. We'd always probably in a, well, I'm probably in a small group uh, of people in trying. <laughs> we to always that. try. We try and do that. I, I think to be fair, and it gets less coverage in certain papers, but they are taking that dual approach. If you look at his speech, several speeches every day that riots are taking place, he said, firstly, we've got to control this. Secondly, we've got to have a debate about underlying factors in society: the breakdown of families, poor schooling, a welfare system that doesn't promote work and a positive future, debt, drugs and alcohol. So he is saying there are some underlying reasons that young people get involved in this. And he, there's a debate about whether they made too much of the gangs issue. I think that's a good debate to have. I'm not, I, I think gangs played a role, but you know, the evidence is showing that it, it was broader than that. Although, interestingly, the evidence is only the people who've been caught. And a lot of these people involved in this, you know, most crime isn't recorded in this country. So I'm sure there are lots of people who haven't yet been pulled up. They may have gone too big on the gangs, that's up for debate, but I think they are trying to be serious now about the underlying causes of social breakdown, which push people to these gangs. These gangs, however we define them, and I'm all for a debate about that too, they're a product of social breakdown and then they create social breakdown. And I think you, you can't have a debate about gang policy unless you look at the underlying drivers. And to be fair, I think David Cameron's trying to do that. I don't want to get too hung up on the definition, but it does become important, doesn't it, when you're talking about punitive policies or, or additionally punitive policies for people who are in gangs. There's been talk about um, people who have firearms who can be proven to be gang members getting aggravated sentences. Now, Ian Joseph, um, in a way that's a dangerous road, isn't it, if you, can't, if you don't have a definition which allows you to prove that someone is a gang member? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I know we're focusing on it, and I'm actually... Uh, uh, sympathetic with the work done by CSJ. I actually think it took the debate a long way forward and away from some of the kind of sterile, monolithic ways of viewing young people. It began to look at what the community is doing, and I think that took us uh, leaps and bounds ahead. But nevertheless, it did back itself into a corner by falling back on the definition. Definition is essential because it's the tool that government and the police use in order to identify a crime problem. And more to the point, it's a definition that's now contained in the Police and Crime Act, which now sets sets up what gangs are and what gangs aren't within the law. There is now legal powers in which the police and local authorities use can now, that they can now identify gangs and bring out injunctions against groups of young people. Now that has huge implications in terms of the kinds of approaches that we can use to tackle the problem. That by itself will not solve the gang problem because it doesn't address the process of the drivers that produces these kinds of three young people hanging around who has a common group identity and all the things that we've heard about. There are other processes that produce that if we're looking to end gangs to prevent them we have to go to the fundamental roots and not take a shortcut to these monolithic um, reified definitions that don't actually resonate with the real life patterns that, that, that young people face. Christian? I think, I think um, Ian may be placing too much emphasis on the definition. I know that ha- the point about the definition is that we have to understand this problem better than we have been recently and we have not been understanding it recently despite a huge amount of good work from Ian and others involved in this field. So the, the definition is, if you like, is a starting point. It shouldn't be rigid. It should be reviewed. I mean, the development of social media is crucial. I mean, the, the, this definition came in 2009 and worked before that, before the real in, in, invention of Twitter but and other things. It doesn't have to be rigid but when you point, take it to court. Well, it has to have a rigidity about it, but I'm saying it should be reviewed and it should be right. adapted as time moves okay. on. But the point about underlying factors, if, if you look at the government's paper on street gangs, if you look at the CSJ's paper, it is all about the underlying factors. It is about saying, this has been with the police for far too long. We've taken a punitive approach alone for far too long. We need a clear message in law But let's get serious about preventing gang crime. Let's get serious about getting people out of gangs without using criminal justice methods if we can. And I think it's about 
work, good relationships, opportunities, uh, positive role models. Uh, it gives it's a second chance strategy, and I think that is crucial. And I think it's it's not all about the, the punitive approach that perhaps Ian is presenting. Uh, Simeon, is it, can I just bring in Simeon? Sure. As you talk to people. Um, What's the view, uh, uh, the young people, what's the view of gangs? Is it seen as a, a desirable thing or is it the, 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 the least worst option? See this, is, see, this is the thing. When we ask young people, uh, point to a gang, you, you get two responses. The largest gang is the police force because they're organised, they have a constitution, they have a clear uniform and they have a specific set in which they, they, they operate. <laughs> they, they, they're clear. Does that fit the definition? That is the response that you get from, from young people. Now, like I said, the majority of young people that I've happened to, to have worked with and the spaces that, that I've been personally, at that time, gangs in themselves were not, were not organised things where you were initiated into them in the way that they are or that you see them in America. I'm not saying that they don't have them here, but in terms of their prevalence, it's on a much smaller scale. In terms of the basic societal norms in, a, in, a, in certain areas, maybe like Tottenham or certain estates in which there, there, is violence, there is violence and there is crime, and basically it's a space where they're very much in the periphery of mainstream, you could say, of, of the state, in which they have their own narrative, they've been you know, marginalised and, and so forth, and you know, we, do our, we do our own thing. We don't operate in the space of, 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 formal, of formal gangs, but you're right, the people in the community are a collective, and they do identify one another, and they do have their own, their own language and so forth. And I, this is where I come back to the notion of gangs. And when you say, why do people join gangs? It's, I almost say that people don't naturally say, I'm going to join a gang. They exist in their friendship groups, and they're tied by those social connections. And if it happens to be that somebody is in a, in, in a gang, that's almost an organic process. So I think what we're talking about is something a lot more organic and something a lot more more natural, just in terms of social social relationships. And once you drift in, can you drift out? I would say um, yes. I know I know a number of young people, perhaps who have, you know, they're a part of specific. They've got specific social relationships. People involved in in different different <coughs> narratives, and they get more involved, and they they. They get more involved, and sometimes they, they sometimes they leave. I think overall, if we're looking at the overall debate on why people perhaps are involved in criminality, and you look at market failure, absence of absence of jobs, education system, feeling that there are no opportunities if you are no longer in education, then I think that's where you have the discussion of how do people how do people in the periphery of the state and opportunities that the state provides and state resources how do they then get access? Now that's another debate. We're talking about social inclusion. We're talking about redistribution. We're talking about access. Now this is probably where the debate really needs to be in correcting market forces that have marginalised people. But then suddenly now we're no longer talking about gangs, and suddenly now we're no longer looking at groups of people. We're looking at the whole structure of society. Now that is really where the debate needs to lie, but you notice that suddenly now we're, the language is not about gang, the language that's now a, is about the state. That's a big debate and that's an expensive it, debate, exactly. isn't it? Um, i just bring up something with you, Ian, because uh, in some of your work um, you, you use the phrase the gang industry. Mm. What did you mean by that? Uh, well, I certainly think that there's, there's a number of core ideas and core concepts that have been constant throughout the Social, the development of social policy around delinquent youth over the last 30 to 40 years. And, and 
some people have made an awful lot of profit and headway in terms of using these these, these arguments. Some of them are around definitions, uh, but the important thing about the definitions is why we keep coming back to it because that really is the kind of you know the the, the lighthouse that kind of guides what what people uh, do do in practice. And unfortunately, over the last uh, certainly the last uh, fifteen years or so, in terms of dealing with the the, the gang issue, the definitions that are, that are being used have actually treated young people in a particular type of way that unfortunately criminalises them. Now I, I, I'm, I'm quite happy with lots of the rhetoric that's in the government cross-departmental uh, cr cross paper, particularly <coughs> their five Ps, but coming back to the, but underlying all of this rhetoric and all the issues about definition is an approach to seeing, understanding the gangs and the root causes. If the five Ps are to be effective, it cannot but be based on the model or the ideas that are actually contained in the definition, because it's premised on a cause and effect. Something in early life actually causes something in later life. Now the research that carried out uh, at the Applied Criminology Unit uh, in the University of East London actually points to two important facts at the moment. One, young people do not identify with the label gang. It's something that's imposed on them. And more interestingly enough, now that it's contained in law, they're adapting what they do in order not to appear uh, uh, to be gangs. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that if we're looking to have effective prevention and interventions, then we need to actually change the basis on which we understand the problem. It's not cause and effect because youngsters at the age of, of 10 years old who might be from a single parent family living in a deprived uh, inner city area, they don't end up in a gang. They don't shoot someone, but they might go on to find a job in the workplace or go to a successful university. If one of these don't match the characterization of a gang member, then there's something wrong with the idea. We have to begin to adopt a new approach to looking at the processes that produce the group characteristic. Christian, let me end you, because you have the better of all of us in that you have the ear of the people who matter, in particular Ian Duncan Smith. I'm sure you ring him, he takes your calls. What are you telling him to do? Where are you telling him to go next? I mean, he doesn't need my advice in any way. <laughs> I'm sure he would value it. I happen to believe, and I may be in a minority around this table, that this strategy marks a better approach than we have had for the last however many years you want to look at it. I think you've now got, um, and it's a shame it took the riots for actually for this to happen, but you've now got political intention on dealing with some of the problems of gangs and helping people out of them, helping people stop getting in them, and then dealing with them if they could persist. So I think that on a leadership level, there is a there is a reason to be more hopeful than we've had before. I think in terms of the approach on prevention, there is on early intervention in particular, there's some really encouraging things coming out of this government. Money is a problem, I know that. But their intention of getting people early, even helping um, families who need it during pregnancy, that is, that is quite innovative stuff. And I think it's important that we recognise that. Then you've got the desire to use great projects that are working with young people on the vulnerable to gangs, on the cusp of gangs, then you've got people who are actually trying to get people out of them when they're in it. So I think there's a lot of positive stuff in this strategy. It's not easy. It's not a magic bullet. Um, gangs aren't the cause of all social ills. But what I'm not clear on, I have to say, is the alternative definition that Ian would propose or the other way of doing this, because this is an effort to try and bring clarity to something that has been, as I say, murky for a long time. But I'm not entirely clear what Ian would adopt as his definition if he was in government. I suppose we're not going to have time to go there right now because we're out of time. But uh, 
100 or so days on from the riots and the search goes on for answers. Let's hope we're asking the right questions. That's all time the time we have this week. Uh, thank to my guests Ian Joseph, Christian Guy and Simeon Brown. I'm Hume Muir, the producer of this Focus podcast was Peter Sale. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.